in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. Look up in the sky! It's a bird! It's an aeroplane! Aeroplane? <laughs> it's the last comic shop! Who says aeroplane? I mean, I guess it is what that's what it's called, but isn't... I, I don't know. I'm the host with the most Andy Larson, and we're adding extra things to our Superman intros this week. Aeroplane! Really? They've been saying it for like 90 years. Fine. It's a plane. Oh, that's my wonderful wife, Nicole Larson. She's on today's program, as well as my regular co-hosts, uh, J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. And if you're wondering why we're talking about Superman, it's because we're covering another Superman book on today's program. Uh, it's uh, finally a book out of the future state. And uh, it, it's been a long time coming. We've wanted to cover Future State for a while, but we wanted to make sure that it was all done. And uh, actually, the book that we're reviewing today, Imperious Lex versus Superman, had like a month, del- not delay, but it came out a month later than most of the other Future State books. So we were waiting for that one, and then we waited a couple more weeks, too, because we, we got busy. Mm. Anyways, Chad, is this officially done? Like, is Future State done? There's no other books that are, like, hiding behind cur- corners, lurking. and Future State is so done, they had already started the Infinite Frontier before the last issue of this book came out. But yeah, Future State is done, though, but a lot of the elements from Future State have uh, crept their way into DCU proper. As DC Universe, their new mantra is that uh, it doesn't matter. And so they're all over time and space. And as long as it makes for a good story, they're going to they're gonna roll with it. Right. It's a golden age for those people that don't like continuity. Go over to DC right now. Uh, you can pick up a Batman book, and it doesn't even really have Batman in it. It's got some other guy that said he's Batman. Or Well, that's not true. Batman just went back to being Batman because that was selling real well. <laughs> so they just picked up the same stories from before the future state. But they restarted Nightwing. Nightwing is real good now. It's got Tom Taylor, and I can't think of the name of the artist, but uh, it was really solid. And uh, the Batman vs. Superman book has Gene Luniang and... Uh, I can't think of the artist, but, uh, but it's really <laughs> good. That's really good, too. The first issue that I had checked out, it's like uh, the old radio serial day Superman and Batman working oh, together. cool. And so, yeah, it's right up your alley. Yeah, I might have to check that out. I mean, it is, again, it is nice. I, I won't lie that uh, for somebody that likes to just pop in and read a couple issues uh, of, of DC once in a while... Uh, I'm kind of digging this. Again, for the immediate future, like folks like Nicole here that don't read a lot of DC comic books in general, like, is she going to be able to find, like, for the next year, like, these kind of events at DC? Or or is... They're doing a lot of weird stuff. I honestly don't think DC knows what they're doing. <laughs> and this is their way to cover their butts in the meantime. But I, I really think they're trying to reconfigure how they conduct business. So you're seeing a lot of new things, like they're doing anthology books. 
where instead of having 17 like Batman family titles, like they're putting those as short stories in Batman books. You know, Justice League has backups with, you know, Justice League Dark and things like that. So instead of having, you know, separate titles, you have backup features now for some of the lesser titles. Yeah, I actually noticed that. The only, uh, one of the only other Future State books I read was uh, Superman World at War. And there was a second feature in that featuring Mr. Miracle. And there's also another one with uh, Midnight, I think. Yeah, Midnight. It was a character I I had never really heard of. Um, He was a Wildstorm guy. He was from the Authority. Okay. The Midnighter, and then there was a Superman analog. All right. Well, real quickly, I wanted to toss out this question to both Nicole and J.A., since they haven't done a lot of talking yet. In regards to DC's approach to basically hucking continuity out of the window and just saying, like, all right, we're just going to put out books, and whoever picks them up, you can pick up three issues at a time. You can read this, you know, this one particular Superman story. Maybe we'll have another Superman story over here. As long as we're telling good stories... We don't really care. Do you think Marvel or other comic book companies that have these continuities, should they take the same approach? Is this a, a good approach for uh, readers? I don't know that I would say that Marvel is going to try to emulate the let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, which is what DC seems to be doing. Marvel's pretty well run with their continuity and their long-term plans. Something like uh, this future state, what we're reading, where you jump in and jump in and out, and it doesn't matter if you know what came before or what comes after, is like the complete antithesis to something like Dawn of X, which is Jonathan Hickman's long, I don't know, I think it's going to turn into like 15 or 20 volumes of X books across a couple of years and and all the titles to tell one big story that will you know probably end up turning out that professor x was in love with somebody or something like that but that even dawn of x wasn't really continuity influenced by the stuff that came before it like it's its own thing that whole hickman Exaverse or whatever it is. Very true, very true. They just took Moira McTaggart uh, retcon, destroyed the whole universe. I like that you can pick up a book and read a couple of issues and you don't need to know everything about it and you can just enjoy the story. But at the same time, comic books also exist in that world where, you know, if you've been collecting for a long time or following a certain character, following a certain story, you kind of feel like, you know, I'm a fan. I I know what's going on. I know all these uh, hat tips to things that happened 30 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, the way Marvel used to do it with the little Stanley with the little bubble issue 211, sports fans or something. Hey, I read that issue. I know what he's talking about. Uh, this is the opposite of that. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I do want to get Nicole's thoughts. Again, she's not somebody that reads any really comic books from the big two. She doesn't like Marvel. She doesn't like DC. She is our indie gal. She likes to read indie books. And... I mean, I got her to read this one because I thought I was like, hey, you know, you don't need to know a lot about Superman. You can just jump into this. Mark Russell's a really great writer. He's got some really neat stuff. Is this more palatable for you in terms of a, of a big two book? Well, I mean, it was palatable because it only took me 10 minutes to read. <laughs> right? For someone who doesn't really 
know the continuity of, of these characters over the long haul. The thing with these books is, one, I don't need to know, and two, I don't know that I'm missing anything because I don't know the background continuity. So I don't know that it's not in continuity. But you know what I mean, saying? Ah. So, okay. like, it could be in continuity as far as I know. I mean, I don't think that having something like this and you telling me, oh, this is just a one-off story, like, would necessarily make me be like, oh, yeah, I really want to read that, if that's what you're asking. Right, like, right. Like, I know enough from Christopher Reeve days, you know, of, of Superman to know the basics. And, and, like, everything that I read in this little short story seemed totally plausible with the history that I knew. Right. Well, I guess, again, the, que- the last question I had, and before we go to break, is that somebody like me is always asking comic book fans what would bring them to the tent what would bring them to the yard what would bring them to dc or marvel to have them read uh, a series you know starring superman or batman or spider-man or whatever especially if that's not your bag and what you're saying is this approach this if you put me work. in a comic book store and you had all these things out there i would walk by this just like i would walk by any other superman book wow because it, it wouldn't, there's nothing that different about it that would like be like, oh, what's that? And again, I'd be like, oh, I'm not really into these, you know, huge overarching things. And that's just me. I don't know. I don't want to be harsh, but I mean, no, yeah, I, mean, no, I, that... I mean, you're my person that tells me, oh, hey, this is good or whatever. I would never on my own just go pick this up. Well, see, that's that's why I was asking the question, because I think that's what DC is attempting to try to do. I take that back. Free comic book day maybe would say like, oh, OK, I'll take that. So it's free okay. and not in continuity. You're all over it. You know, they normally have that stuff set aside and it's just a, a, a good time time to take a bunch of different stuff so if it even looks halfway palatable like i probably grab it that's how you learn about new new authors or you know series or whatever i was gonna say the other issue you, you maybe get into is if you get somebody to read you know a standalone book like this there's no hook there's nothing to keep you reading because you've read the story yeah and especially with something like this where there's not an issue for where do you go from there? Uh, DC's hoping at least just stumble in eventually. Right. So we'll be right back with more of The Last Comic Shop right after these messages. We're going to review Superman versus Imperious Lex and uh, talk a little bit more about, again, DC is putting it all in. They're saying this is what's going to get us new readers. We haven't heard that that's actually happening. Stay tuned. My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the 5th Annual Livestream for the Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. Over the past four years, the Livestream for the Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. And before we get into our book review for this week, uh, we wanted to touch base a little bit more on Future State and kind of try to explain uh, how it came about and uh, all this stuff. Because, again, during the commercial break, Nicole just had a lot of questions about, like, Future State in general. And even I did, too. Just even the cover art, right? Which, I mean, I hate to be cliche, but we all look at covers and judge <laughs> based on covers, right? Right. So whatever. But I'm just thinking uh, my easy comparison is, like, 
the long Halloween or year one or just the covers alone are different enough from like your standard comic book covers that it would draw my interest but like these comic they just look like comic book covers to me like it would never have captured my attention and i wonder i mean because they all all the future state had sort of that wrapping so that you all knew it was a future state that could be confusing to somebody who's you know new to the tent oh do i have to buy all these future state books do all of them relate to each other is it is it a big crossover event the other thing as a casual reader i don't know what the heck future state is well no neither did dc Right. <laughs> uh, well, neither did I, too. And I'm a guy that's been reading a lot of comic books over the years. And I, and I was sincerely like, does this happen in the future? Are these all like, you know, like your 5,000 versions of Superman and Batman and all this other stuff? I was very confused. And that's why I didn't pick up a lot of books to begin with. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the history where DC has undergone a great deal of upheaval in the last year since they were bought by AT&T. But uh, so the original plan for DC, they were going to do something called the 5G, where the the head of DC, his name was Dan Didio. They were going to age out their superheroes. They were going to age out Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and replace them with these new superheroes. Well, the corporate daddies at AT AT&T caught wind of this and like, oh, no, 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 no. And they fired Dan Didio. But... They had already, you know, started into this project. And so basically you have like two months of, in my teacher brain, these are like the subplan issues. Where like they had all these issues that they, you know, they had bought to create and DC didn't know what to do. And it's like, well, we'll just, we'll release them for, you know, two or three or four issues at a stretch. And, uh, and that'll give us some time to pause before we start into our next big reboot, relaunch, whatever it is. But that's what the future state ended up being. And some of the titles were connected and some of the titles weren't. And some of the titles, you couldn't tell what the timeline was. It was really all over the place. Right. So in essence, DC was trying to polish a turd. They were like, we were handed something. I guess we're going to have to work with it. Uh, Regardless, we've got a book to review from it. And it's a... An interesting one, it comes from some creators that Chad and I have actually read quite a lot of stuff from them. The team of Mark Russell and Stephen Pugh, and uh, it is called Superman vs. Imperious Lex. Three-issue little arc here. Uh, Who else worked on this project, uh, Chad? Okay, so you had Mark Russell as the writer, Stephen Pugh on art, Romolo Fajardo Jr. did the colors. Carlos Manguel was your letterer. Um, and you had covers by Yannick Paquette. Alrighty. So, uh, Nicole, do you want to give us the 10 cent synopsis of what happens within these three issues of Superman versus Imperious Lex? Sure. Lex <laughs> Luthor has gone off and found a distant planet uh, to rule, and he basically has all the uh, planet's inhabitants worshipping him and, you know, bending to his every whim and he has created uh, some super robots that essentially steal all the resources from the other outer rim planets and that's how his planet kind of survives. So then you have uh, on the other hand uh, Lois Lane who is Earth's representative to the United Planets which is a universal consortium of, of planets you know like the United Nations essentially and lo and behold Lex Luthor wants to get in on this and they're kind of miffed as to why and uh, long story short uh, chaos ensues yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot more that happens because, you know, for somebody that that likes Mark Russell, he has done books like Flintstones, which we might talk about during recommendations and uh, uh, the Snagglepuss book. He's got kind of an interesting way of taking kind of generalized tropes from like Saturday morning cartoons. And then kind of just mixing in some neat dialogue and interesting concepts and making it a lot more sophisticated. Because to be honest, if you read these issues, they're kind of like plots from a Super Friends episode. Evil robots, Lex Luthor takes over a planet, Superman comes to rescue, except with this cool sheen on top. I would say your cool sheen is uh, insightful social commentary, tackling the issues of the day. Right. It, it, he, he definitely elevates it and brings some intellectual discourse. I mean, it's hard not to look at this book and, and maybe see some of the same things that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years and say current events in certain countries. But uh, I wanted to start off with J.A.'s initial thoughts uh, of what he thought of this particular three-issue series. I thought it was bubblegum. <laughs> I thought it was sweet, like bubblegum, fresh when you first start it, and then after a while it just gets chewy, gummy, and old, and you spit it out. That's a great of, analogy. Thank you. I like it. it. Full of wow and pop and ultimately had no redeeming value. Wow. Yeah. All right, Chad, it was your pick this week. You want to jump in, buddy? Yeah. So I've gone through this dance before a couple of times with Mark Russell stuff. I love Mark Russell. This is a guy that I think is super thoughtful. He talks about things that are really important you know, in his comics, but he hides it behind... You know, this silly veneer, this silly scene of robots and replicants and the, the system, the authority. But really, uh, what this book was about and something that I thought was, you know, genuinely insightful about it. So many times in politics, we look at the people on the other side of the equation. And I'm sure both people on either side could say this is true. But you wonder, how could somebody believe that? How could people buy in to what these people are selling? And what Mark Russell does is he explores that. And he shows you and he, you know, behind the curtain. These are why the people that are sticking up for some of these crazy pants ideals or some of these things that you would think, well, common sense would dictate that that's not true. That's the stuff he dives into and explores in a Superman cup. And sure, it's, it's a little bit saccharine and you have the whole, um, I, I don't want to take it away from Jay because he had a really great uh, analogy we were talking about before. Uh, do you remember how you described this? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So this is like the antithesis to uh, the recently released Snyder cut of Justice League, which was serious. Yes. Not only serious, it was a lot of punching, a lot of CGI garbage, and a lot of just things that aren't my Superman. Whereas this, this is my Superman. Superman talking about, you know, giving people mercy. Not because they deserve mercy, but because... That's what mercy is. Yeah, that's we become better because of it, you know? When we show mercy to others, we show mercy to ourselves. And, like, that's a huge concept that, you know, plays out with my Superman. But in Zack Snyder's, he would just look somebody cross-eyed and try to break their necks or something. This is a much more uh, thoughtful... And the, the exploration of Lex Luthor, and he's talking about being that con man... And he's talking to his robot, and he's like, you know, the people, they don't hang their dictators because of their beliefs. They hang them because of their failures. 
And it's all about, for Lex Luthor, finding that next accomplishment, finding the next way to spin something so people can think, yeah, this is better than it was before. But uh, so much of this, I thought with Lex serving as that analog for some, some current events, with Superman, you know, giving all those lessons about Superman. When he's punching out the robots, and the robots are, you know, he's like, oh, these robots have feelings. All right, maybe I won't destroy the robots. I'm going to stash them somewhere else and see if we can fix them later. And even just not giving in to anger. You know, he talks about being very powerful, but he can't let that power give in to anger. But still, he's allowed to feel things. Like, I thought those were all super relevant points. And not to mention the people that uh, Superman is trying to save, the people of Lex Luthor's planet, who throw rocks at him. And, you know, he brings out that point, Mark Russell does, about how the con... They're the they're the last to turn on the con man because they're the ones that have bought in, and yeah. so like I just I can't help thinking about that every time I, I think of the the modern political situation that uh, that we're living through here in the states. It's like how many people, you know, they liked being lied to, they bought into the lies, and now they're going to perpetuate that to the end because you can't sell out your beliefs. If you admit that you bought into the wrong thing, what does that say about you? And so people hold on to those things, and the world becomes a much more dangerous place because of it. Right. Now, and, the, and the one thing that I did want to add is you're, you're absolutely right that even though I mentioned that this is, again, kind of like a Super Friends kind of style plot, Mark Russell doesn't let those particular aspects of storytelling hold him back for just having neat sections like I'm, I'm thinking about issue three that came up and he's talking about plato and the uh, the and the exploration of the cave idea where it's basically you know plato who he said was probably a professional wrestler that ripped off his teacher which i thought was super cool but um everybody thinks about the cave it's like that you live in the cave and you see the uh, illusions on the wall, but then you start reaching out of the cave and you learn your reality and you grow as a person. When in fact, in reality, most people just want to do the opposite, which is they're born into reality and they retreat into the cave because they don't want to deal with all that reality has to it in store for them. Jump in here. You know, I I kind of share a little bit of both Johnny Andrews and and Chad's thoughts. You know, I did think that this book, you know, for such a short little uh, story, you know, really did touch on a lot of aspects of humanity. And I'm thinking um, closer to the end. So Lex Luthor, you know, tries to join the United Planets because he's desperate for help because essentially the planets broke once Superman disables his robots. And uh, lo and behold, when they go there, you know, the, the United Planets does a survey and finds these special gems that essentially would power, you know, all of the planets. And, and so then Lex Luthor's like, oh, well, screw that. I don't want in this any anyway, you know. And, and at first, the United Planets, you know, consortium was like, oh, well, screw him. But Lois Lane reminds us, though, that the people inhabiting those planets are still the victims, right? And as much as we want to just wash our hands of it and say, screw it, there's still always the little people that are being trampled on and that you can't just turn your back on them. You know, I like that, that sentiment. It reminds me a lot of, you know, some of the current immigration issues and things like that. But to Johnny Andrew's point, I think this felt like bubblegum in some ways to, from my perspective, because some things were overstated. Like I kind of like the cave analogy and things, but sometimes it's just the actions speak louder than words. Sometimes when you, you try to put label on it, it just kind of comes off hokey, you know, like and I think to my point of, of going back for the victims, I mean, there's a lot of dialogue or, or 
you know, bubbles that kind of say that. And it's like, well, can't we just demonstrate it through the the actions of the characters by kind of labeling and saying, oh, be good to other people, you know, kind of like makes it cheesy and corny. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's places for it. I don't think, you know, the Plato thing, I think, worked for me more than some of the other places, like even the mercy thing or don't give in to anger. Like it, it was a little too much overwriting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It was like, I was, I found, literally found myself rolling my eyes, you know, where Superman gets the medal and he goes, I think this medal should go to the families to remind them of their lost loved ones. And I was like, oh, please, come right. on. Did you roll your eyes more during this three-issue series than I did the during the four-hour Snyderverse? This cape doesn't run. Well, I think this is a difficult balance to achieve, right? Because you're you're talking about a medium that uses both the visual of the art and then you know the bubbles. It's not a movie. It's not a book. In a book, you can write what a character's thinking, right? And here, you have to you know kind of mix the two things. It's got to be a hard balance. I'm not saying I could do it any better, but I'm just saying I think that's what made it feel a little hokey at times, whereas sometimes I wish it was just kind of more demonstrated through the actions of the characters or through dialogue that was not blatantly bubblegummy. Well, I mean, but I, I'm going to kind of stick up a little bit for some of that kind of talk, because I, I think on some of the programs we've done in the past, we've talked about the fact that back in the day, they used to write comic books for all ages. Like, they used to just put out comic books, and they didn't care whether you were, you know, eight years old or 80 years old when you were reading a comic book. They just wanted to write it. And so a lot of that stuff was written in kind of a general way that it could appeal to large swaths of people. And I think if, honestly, one of Mark Russell's uh, goals with this particular series was to get across some of his ideas about, you know, fairness and forthrightness of Superman versus the con man aspects of Lex Luthor. I think, especially for younger audiences, I think that it's it's necessary to sometimes just flat out come out and say it and be like, here's some stuff. Like, let's talk about courage. Let's talk about sacrifice. Let's talk about them in eye rolly kind of things because we're jaded adults. But for, uh, you know, somebody that's 10, 11, that's picking up this issue and wants to read Superman... This is stuff that probably might move them, yeah. at least I think. And maybe that's a better way of putting it, you know, rather than being like, oh, it's bubblegummy or whatever. Maybe it's just a little juvenile, right? You know, it's um, it's not necessarily like super sophisticated in terms of the language that's used. It, it is something that it, you could see going towards a younger audience that it's just a little bit more blatant because it has to be a little bit more blatant. Well, sometimes things don't need to be sophisticated, though. Like I, and I, I was going to say, I, I like the general premise. I'm just commenting that that's something that, like, J.A. kind of was like. Eh. The sophistication is in the juvenile nature of it. The sophistication is in your Lex Luthor saying, I'm your leader. I'm going to take full responsibility. Full responsibility for finding other people to blame. And then he points to his little robot. Oh, that what was is- actually really sad. His little robot loved him and loved him to the very end. Right. I remember being 10, 12 years old and reading comic books that dealt with important social issues, and it blew my mind. And I think that's what Mark Russell does today, is he frames things in a way where, you know, an all-ages audience, they can get it. And is it, you know, saccharine sometimes? Sure. But at the same time, I think if the right audience gets their hands on this, I think it could really go a long way into expanding how they think about things. And he's introducing things like Plato in the cave. Uh, but I like I totally get it. I totally love it. It's totally my jam. Spoken like a true middle school English teacher. 
That's right. I spent all my time trying to get 12 and 13 year olds to understand stuff. I This speaks to me. Absolutely. No, I, I, I things don't need to be super sophisticated sometimes. They really don't. Uh, at the end of the day, if you want people to read comic books, sometimes you just got to po- come out a- a- and write stuff that, again, is accessible to everybody. But I think there's a lot of intellectual thought process in this particular book. It's just stated more simply than than some people might might appreciate, I guess. So, in any case, we've got more of The Last Comic Shop coming up right after these messages. Hope you enjoyed our review, but stay tuned for our rating. That should be interesting. Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies and digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. Faster than a speeding bullet, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop on this uh, review of another Superman book, and it is now time for our ratings where we have an opportunity to say to Mark Russell and Stephen Pugh, you know what you did with this comic book? It was great. It was not so great. It was somewhere in between. Whatever it was, it's now a number value. And you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> or else not deal with it. I don't care. I, 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 would lo- I would just love to talk with Mark Russell. I think he'd be a really interesting guy to talk to. So maybe hopefully he's listening to the show. And if he is... Why don't you come aboard the last comic shop someday, Mark? Uh, I mean, we're already two issues into Second Coming, and that was a really great book, so I'm looking forward to seeing that finish up. So anyways, regardless, it is now time for ratings, and as always, J.A. Scott gives us our special rating scale for this week. So one out of four what's on this week's show, J.A.? We're going to do one out of four robots. And remember, if you have a problem with your robot, you can always contact LexCore and let him know. (laughs) He's got the smiling face on the back. It's the best. No, I I dig that. Plus, it's easy to sound effect in. Anyways, we're going to (laughs) start off with Nicole, and she is going to give us her uh, ratings. How many robots are you giving this book this week? Oh, it's always hard to go first, because I don't want to be, like, the mean one or, you know, the overrated one. I'm I'm sure that J.A. is going to be the mean one on this show based on his previous comments. Go ahead. I'm going to give it two full robots plus, like, three extra robot arms. Okay, three extra robot arms. I don't know how many many arms these robots have. Uh, They they look like octopus-typey things. Right, like centipedes or something. So, I I don't know, but I'm just saying, you know, it's a couple extra arms. So, like, like one was, like, a a factory reject, and they just jammed a bunch. Like in Cootie, 
Like they stuck a lot more arms on that cootie yeah. robot. All right, fair enough. Uh, and I guess I do that because it was just kind of like, okay. I mean, it occupied like half an hour of my time. Uh, I thought it had some valid points. Wasn't like the most great thing I've ever read. Okay. D- did you like Lois Lane in this particular book? Did you think she was a, a particularly good character? I mean, I just I thought she was a pretty strong female in, in this particular. Yeah, series. and you know, obviously she's older, and you know, she still seemed pretty, uh, you know, kick-ass. Okay, that's a fine, that's a fine rating. We're gonna go to JA next, and what? So, what? How many robots are you giving this, buddy? I'm giving this one robot. Wow! Oh, see, now I don't feel so bad. Okay, not a full zero. Not a full zero. <laughs> now there is a little bit of, you know, it's it's a standalone story. You don't need a lot of backstory to get into it. It's competently, you know, plotted out. It's three issues. It's a quick read, but. Ultimately, it's like bubblegum. It tastes good, and then you spit it out, and you forget about it. You go buy some more bubblegum somewhere. I thought that, okay, yeah, it deals with all these big ideas, but just clunkily and badly. I didn't understand why Lois Lane is the representative of Earth for this United Planet, with with the exception that they needed to make her the representative of Earth, or else the plot doesn't work. You know, I know Chad always like you know likes to say hashtag not my Superman. I'm gonna say hashtag not my Lex Luthor. I like the Lex Luthor that's a bit more in control and and you know like the head of a mega corporation and and a couple steps ahead of Superman and 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 usually undone by his vanity or his pride. And this one, he's very sort of bumbling, running a, a planet of rubes and and comes off as just sort of not as interesting to me. Okay. All right. Well, I will say, you know, just sticking up for Lex Luthor in this particular reason, I think it's almost metafictional the way that Lex Luthor behaves in this because throughout the book, he's always talking about like, uh, all the schemes and plans that he he builds up because he's basically a straw man like that's what most dictators are you know they present strength to those that are out there but in essence got uh, feet of clay and uh, ultimately I think it's a metafictional in the fact that like we're all led to believe that like Lex Luthor is some sort of uh, ultimate badass like he that he's some sort of like ultimate smart guy that can figure out ways of defeating superman or whatever but really maybe he's not maybe we're but maybe we've been buying that con this whole time i mean he does lose quite a lot i, I believe it's every time that's right after a while like you're batting over a thousand so like Maybe you are not exactly all that in a bag of chips. Anyways, Chad, you're going to be on the opposite side of the spectrum. So what's uh, your rating for this book? Why well, I was going to say, too, before we jump off of Lex Luthor, I really like that analogy of the, the grabbers and the holders, or people that can clutch or people can hold, but rarely people can do both. And like Lex, Lex Luthor's this guy that's always clutching for things, but you know he never has anything that he can really hold on to. Right. That's what makes him a bad guy. Yeah, I like that point, and I wonder what the uh, the stock price on LexCorp stock is these days, because, you know, regardless of how much he loses, LexCorp is always around, it's always making stuff. There's a lot of uh, money to be had in LexCorp stock, I'm thinking. Well, they did kick him off planet, so I don't know if you can still trade on the New York Stock Exchange, but uh, regardless, so... I honestly, I I enjoyed this for what it was. You know, it was a nice inspirational Superman tale. I I like, like, this is my Superman. 
with the notes on mercy, with the notes on understanding. And like I said before, especially in the political climate we live in, so often I see folks that are on the other side of the political spectrum like, how did that happen? And I felt like Mark Russell was, you know, he walked me through a little bit of like, hey, don't forget, this is what some of these people have gone through. And also at the same time, you, you don't stop showing those people mercy. Like you, That's why we have people like Superman to show us the way to, to treat people, even when they disagree with us, and even when they throw rocks at us. And I thought all that stuff was super important. With all that said, I don't think this is Mark Russell's finest. I would definitely put it towards the lower end of the, the Mark Russell stuff that I read. So we'll say uh, three robots. Okay. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm going to agree with that rating of three robots myself because I think honestly I keep on talking on this program about how you know you have to write comic books for all ages. You have to have self-contained stories. You have to have. Uh, things that are not overly sophisticated that lots of folks can kind of grasp onto when you write comic books or else you're just going to not appeal to uh, the mass audience that comic books have to appeal to the mass audience that comic books had back in the day and it's kind of weird that like J.A.'s like yeah, I didn't like this because it was childish or whatever. When in fact, on previous shows, he's he's gone on record saying that's the way that I, I I remember comic books when I was a kid. That's what you should have. You should have comic books like this because they're good for kids. They're good for what the target audience of comic books should be, which is again ten to sixteen year olds. This is a perfect comic for a ten to sixteen year old. It's got great art. We didn't talk about that enough. I really do like Stephen Pugh on this book. I think he has a nice classic style, clean comic booky without being too avant garde or all over the place. Uh, I just I, I think that's that that works. And, uh, you know, I, again, I keep on going back to that cave. Like how many times do you put a reference to Plato's major philosophical viewpoints in a comic book and make it work? Make it work within the plot. I mean, I, I give kudos to him because other folks would have tried to shoehorn that in. I don't feel it was shoehorned in here. I think it was legitimately like... Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad that you brought that up, Mark Russell. That and the fact that I, to Chad's point, I liked some of the dialogue. I wasn't one of those guys that thought it was hokey when he said, again, you know, nobody deserves mercy. That's why you give it. Super powerful. Because it sums up pretty much everything. And the grasping and the holding thing, that was awesome, too. So, yeah, I don't, I, you're, you're right. It's not Mark Russell's best work. But I'm glad he did it. And I'm glad it's out there. You know, if I see younger, you know, again, teenage uh, comic book readers, I'm going to recommend they, they check this series out because it's got Superman in it, and it's super good. In any case, other things that you should check out are our recommendations. On this program, we also like to give you know all kinds of other books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop today. And as always, we like to do a current book, a similar book, and a book out of left field, as well as a cherry on the top, which comes from our guest, which is my wonderful wife, Nicole Larson. You know, it's actually our third week in a row that we've had a guest. We should keep this going. I like our guests. They're nice. In any case, uh, so uh, on today's program, we're going to first come up with our current book, and that comes from Chad. So, Chad, what is our current book for this week? All right, so current is a relative term, as the book I, I, I want to talk about started in 2016 and wrapped up in 2017. Uh, it also involved this creative team of Mark Russell and Stephen Pugh. It was The Flintstones. 
where when you think of the Flintstones, you know, Fred and Wilma and Barney and everything, like Mark Russell totally upends the expectations in a 12-issue comic book series that, once again, similar to this, was biting social satire. It dealt with economics. It dealt with our cast mentality. It dealt with uh, social issues like gay marriage, uh, all those those hot-button issues at that time. And Mark Russell, I, I, I genuinely think that the way he writes, it is sophisticated. It is biting social satire. It is something where you're in the heart of it sometimes. It's, it might even be hard to see, but I think it's great. So the Flintstones, 12 issues, uh, came out of uh, DC's, their Hanna-Barbera initiative. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time. Okay. I'm going to go next with our similar book. And it's similar just because it has Superman in it. But yeah, I mean, I guess it works too, because like, again, when I thought heard of Future State, I thought it was going to be, I don't know, the Superman in the future. Plus it's a, it also, it's similar because it's got an older Superman and that is Superman, Batman Generations. I know we've been talking a lot about John Byrne on our particular program, but this is another John Byrne book that you can pick up. It came out originally in uh, 1999. Uh, And it's basically uh, John Byrne being a little bit ahead of the curve on some of the books that have been coming out recently, like Spider-Man Life Story. And uh, I know that they're going to be doing a similar book with the Fantastic Four. Uh, You know who's writing that one? That's right, Mark Russell. That's why, again, I wanted to give that a plug. But um, again, uh, John Byrne was a little bit ahead of the arc because he decided that he was going to write a series where Superman and Batman were allowed to age in real time. Uh, starting off from their conception in the 1930s. So basically, Bruce Wayne and Superman, you know, just like the comic books, they start off in 1939. And uh, it basically shows them being allowed to age, you know, Superman and Lois having children, Batman having children, uh, those children kind of actually getting married to each other as well as you get the... uh, uh, Bruce Wayne Jr., you know, hooking up with uh, Clark and Lois's uh, young daughter. So, I mean, it's it's neat stuff. And uh, the entire time this is going on, there's this massive subplot by uh, Lex Luthor, who is still determined to destroy Superman's life. And to J.A.'s point, he is a lot more menacing in this particular book. He's actually a lot more competent. The generation-long Machiavellian manipulations that Lex Luthor goes through throughout this series and just, again, continues, you know, Bruce Wayne get older and eventually get into the Lazarus Pith so that he can actually remain young uh, well into the future with Superman. It kind of all makes sense. But it's a great little book. It's only four issues, and uh, it kind of gets kind of weird towards the end, but... Honestly, I think about 90% of the book is really neat. So if you have an opportunity to check out Batman Superman Generations by John Byrne, uh, I would highly recommend it. J.A., what is our Out of Left Field book book this week? Okay, so Out of Left Field is the complete opposite of what we just read. It's serious. It's a little bit older. It's still DC. It's Batman, not Superman. It is Batman Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison and Dave McKean from 1989. This is the story of Arkham Asylum, written and constructed very much like the building itself. So the basement is uh, the history of Arkham Asylum, and you you find out how Arkham Asylum was built. And as you go through the floors, 
just like you're going through the story, each floor represents a, a, a psychological point in, in Batman's sort of uh, battle with bad guys, with the Joker, uh, Killer Croc, I think, is in it, Two-Face. Uh, you know, you were talking in this book about how you were so impressed at how they worked in, you know, uh, Plato, which I thought was actually really forced. But Morrison works in Carl Jung and Aleister Crowley, Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll. They're these makes it work within this psychological horror uh, that really set the tone for Batman coming out into the 90s. And then, of course, uh, all those video games, Batman Arkham Asylum, all based off of this original concept story and really uh cemented what major part of the batman mythos was with arkham going forward very cool all right nicole what is our cherry on the top this week uh my cherry on top is very loosely related i'd say uh because there's people that fly okay up up in the air right up up in the air it's a bird it's a plane whatever it's an Uh, airplane (laughs) So uh, this is an image book that I read a couple years ago. Um, The series started in 2018. I read the first couple of uh, trades, and the name of it is Skyward. It was written by Joe Henderson with art by Lee Garbett. Essentially, Earth has lost its gravity, and there are kind of like the folks that can fly, and then there's the people that you know, have have tried to man- manipulate gravity. It's almost like a caste system and things like that. But anyhow, yep, people fly and those man. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> no, isn't that there's a young girl in it, and her, her isn't her father? Yeah, and her to... father was you know a scientist, and at some point somebody's trying to to bring gravity back, and it would have major social implications. And right. I only got two into the first two. Uh, trades of it and i guess there's like 14 or 15 but i i remember i recall that you really like the visuals in some of those beautiful, issues especially because i think it doesn't it take place in chicago so it's like the yeah, the notion of the chicago, chicago skyline but from the opposite perspective where you're like you know above you know everything and they have to use like guns to like shoot them down towards the earth because of the way that gravity's almost yeah, and, in reverse. Yeah, and there's, there's some really cool stuff with, like, weather anomalies because, you know, there's no gravity. So it's it's, it's more that you're floating than flying, right? It, it's not that you have some way to propulse yourself, but uh, there's no gravity. So then when weather fronts come through, if you happen to be in the air, you know, chaos can uh, occur. And, and so there were some really cool visuals with that, if I recall correctly. Absolutely. Now, I can highly recommend that book, too. I really enjoyed uh, <laughs> Nobody ever considers well. the weather whenever you're thinking about flight as a superpower. <laughs> no, you don't. And like I said, this is, you know, because it was anti, you know, lack of gravity, it was a little bit different because they didn't have some sort of control over their motion. Really, I mean, when they were going between buildings, they would have to, you know, grab onto things and such. So uh, when weather came through, there was a real threat of being, you know, hoisted off of something that you could hold on to and, and therefore floating away. Okay. It's like being in the ocean and being caught in the undertow, only in the sky. I wonder if there was like a hurricane or something like that that, you know, incorporated water into it too. It was kind of cool. Yeah. 
Well, we're hoping that you don't float away from our fantastic website anytime soon. That's www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It is a fantastic place where you can get all of our episodes uh, all the way back to the first one. So if you've missed any of our episodes, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to any of our terrific places. You can find our podcasts such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, CastBox, uh, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And again, there all the links are there on the website so www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com it's like gravity it should always bring you back to that place while while you're out there you should also make sure that you check out what ja on our website check out our merch store because we've got merch yes you can get hats you can get t-shirts you can get hoodies and this week only you can get a robot brought to you by lexcore (laughs) Is it LexCore or LexCorp? Is it like HardCorp? <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking about pronunciation. Do you guys pronounce it W, WWW dot, or W, whatever Andrew says, it's like WWW. Yeah, you know, it's WW2. <laughs> no, oh. it's, it's probably W. Like, J.A. gets after me all the time with my articulation. Anyways, Chad, do your thing. <laughs> okay. So... Whether you're articulate or not, you're always welcome at uh, your local comic shop. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we're probably not the last comic shop. Go to the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com. I hope I enunciated my W as well. <laughs> Did you uh, tell them how we use comic uh, shop locator no, when we were yeah. down in Charlotte and we walked two miles to the comic book shop? I didn't tell them the part about walking two miles. It is a great place where you can find comic book shops in your area, and you should definitely go out there. I'm sure there's some some Future State stuff still on, on the shelves there, so you can pick it up. Yeah, because no one wanted to read it. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I will say, too, that a lot of this Future State stuff is coming out in trade. I do know that uh, if you stick around, I think, till June, uh, you'll be able to pick up not only Superman versus Imperius Lex, but I think it's going to be included in a trade with some other Superman-related books, such as Superman World's War and House of L, I think, is going to be in that trade as well. So uh, if you want to, you can wait and pick that up uh, at your local comic book store as well. And until next week, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, as well as Nicole Larson, for this wonderful show. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered, and above all, stay out of the cave. Make sure that you're out there among those folks that are embracing reality. Don't retreat, folks. Not good for you. It's not healthy. Unless the cave is the back cave. In which case, stay inside, man, because you got a big penny and a dinosaur and some Batmobiles. <laughs> and an Alfred who will bring you little finger sandwiches with a crust cut off. Delicious. The Last Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. <laughs>